Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Curator's Choice. I'm your host, Ayla Anderson, and continuing with our theme of the last episode, we are back in Luray in Virginia. And Luray has, obviously, the amazing decorated Luray Caverns, but in that same area, there is also the Shenandoah Heritage Village. It's just right across the street, along with the Car and Carriage Museum that we will be talking about next time. All of this is located in the fantastic historic place of Luray. So the Shenandoah Heritage Village is a seven acre recreation of a small 19th century farming community. And what they've done is they've restored a lot of the historic buildings of the area. They have cottage style gardens and a small vineyard. They have this scenic mountain backdrop and a cafe where you can get some food. And they even have a gem mining sluice. So it's really worth a visit. But in particular, we're going to be talking with Isabella Graves. She's going to be telling us all about the history of the Shenandoah Valley. And she shares with us all the work that goes into creating iron stoves from the colonial area and really how it revolutionized cooking. But really remarkably, she's going to tell us about a book, a very special, very old book. It is a Bible and it was printed in 1539 in Zurich, Switzerland. I can say this, I've actually been there before, and it was a quaint, charming town. Loved it. Beautiful wooden bridge. But back to the book, it's incredible. They know the history of the book, and she talks about how important this would have been in the lives and in the context of the time. Also of incredible note... There are illustrations in this Bible. These illustrations, beautiful illustrations, are painted by none other than Hans Holbein the Younger. Now, if you're not familiar with this name, you'll probably be familiar with King Henry VIII. Hans was the king's painter to King Henry VIII. Yes, the Henry that liked to chop off his wives' heads. The very same. So a lot of really cool stuff happening this episode. I'm going to let you hear it straight from Isabella. If you would like to see pictures of the episode today, please go to curatorschoicepodcast.com or you can also check out Facebook or Instagram. And I do have to apologize. This episode came out a little bit late. I hate doing that, but I just ran out of time and I wanted to do Isabella and the Shenandoah Valley justice. I think it really deserved it. I'm pleased with how this episode came out. And Isabella is, as you will hear, she is absolutely wonderful. So I wanted to do them justice and hopefully I did and you agree. So thank you so much. And let's hear from Isabella. The area where the the village is now until about 13 years ago was just a farm, a farmhouse and farmland and a little bit of uh, forest as well. And with our increasing visitation, there was some exploration into adding another attraction and, you know, some different ideas. Some of them were were very commercial and they really didn't fit in. At the same time, my husband and, and myself as well, we have this interest into 
local history and we have our own collection but also a collection in storage uh, that belonged to to my father-in-law so we had that to start with and also realizing that some of these historic buildings in our area were threatened and you know some by neglect other ones were just going to be destroyed being burned down or torn down so as we saw this we thought you know why not celebrate something that is of local interest why not preserve our local historic heritage we have the space the farm that we that we had there still have is the turn of the century typical valley farm but we had a lot of empty space in those farm fields so we moved additional buildings there the, the main museum building for instance was a very large two-bay log barn that was close to us and it was going to be torn down so we we purchased it and moved it um, to our site. It was not put together as a barn. It was, we just reused the materials and the logs, the floor. We recycled as much as we could of the original materials to make it our main building to house our main collection. Uh, the other buildings, we were much more careful, you know, um, making them look like they they did um, in their original location. So when we came and visited, I mean, I was pretty surprised because I didn't expect to have this whole village of different historical sites over there. So it was a really pleasant surprise for me. And when we came in, the museum there are a lot of really cool things everywhere. There were a couple of things that I really gravitated towards that were just really interesting to me. But then once you walk through the museum, that's not all of it. Then you can go outside and like you said, there are these different types of buildings and things. So why don't you tell us a little bit about putting the collections together and trying to decide what you wanted to display inside the museum section? Because I'm sure it wasn't an easy choice. It sounds like there were a lot of materials to, to choose from. Yes, so we overall, and because of the area where we live, we wanted to show the everyday man objects and history back then. Because it's, it's most... It's most of humanity, you know, and I think a lot of museums throughout the world, they focus really on the upper classes and exceptional people that stand out one way or the other. But the most part of people are just everyday people. It's like this wave of humanity that makes the world and changes the world and all their lives and names get forgotten by history but they are very important so we we wanted in our small way to celebrate them remember them <laughs> so um and also we wanted to focus on the shenandoah valley and more specifically on the page valley which is the, the area of the shenandoah valley where we live a, a lot of our items like for instance i can think of one specific collection which is the the iron collection the stoves that that you see and other iron objects from the time they are centric to this area because um one of the 
America's first industries was the iron industry. Uh, and this area was particularly rich in iron ore. And um, so in colonial times, we had a, a local furnace here that produced those, but also many other different furnaces in the, in the Shenandoah Valley. And um, those early stoves, they're not just, you know, interesting pieces of iron. They're actually, they created a domestic revolution here that made life more, made life easier to live, more comfortable, made the houses warmer. Made and may, I'm assuming it made it easier to cook as well. Absolutely, to cook and to bake, because some of them had uh, separate ovens where you could where, where you could um, bake bread and, and other things. So. And what's really remarkable is when you're walking through, you have kind of on on each one of the the would would they be considered furnaces? The stoves, the stoves. On the side of each of the stoves, you have mostly the the large square pieces, and on them, some of them are pretty. I don't want to say plain, but they're simplistic in design. And then some of them are extremely grandiose. And it's incredible because you really can see the most intricate designs on these giant slates of iron. So it really yeah. showed a lot of excellent craftsmanship during in, in the middle of this valley. Yes, it was um, definitely they had to to have, you know, some very competent craftsmen to produce those. It was a very complicated process and they would have, um, for instance, the artists to make the designs. Then they would have the mold carvers that would carve them out of a wooden piece that would be imprinted on very hard sand. And then the molten iron would be uh, set on top of this sand and that's how you would get then the pattern and I don't know if you noticed when you visited like the earliest stove plates and and um, by plates I mean the different pieces that would be assembled into a stove they have religious quotes and designs in German because they were you know made by um, uh, German descent people or even actually German people from Germany that immigrated here. And then as time passes, you see an evolution to more vernacular designs and some of them with English writing in them. But anyway, just a, a detail that I, I find interesting. I'm wondering, so before you had um, these stoves, was most of the cooking completed just in a hearth inside or outside the hall? Yes, home? yes, it would be hearth cooking. So it really was a huge advancement for the time, and I'm sure it was a lot safer because you didn't have the fire risk as well. Yes, yes, it was it was safer. I'm sure there would still some some risks. We actually, during the season, we we have an expert on uh, colonial hearth cooking that comes to the museum, and she does demonstrations on weekends. And it's very interesting how it was done and, and much, much um, labor intensive. But they could still cook very delicious things. I know because we, we get to eat the samples. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> so as you're walking through, you see kind of the evolution of these stoves and the designs and even the language changing. And then as you continue through, I'm hoping, I'm, ass I'm assuming you will, but when you're walking through, there's also a very special book. Oh, okay. Are you talking about 
the Bible? <laughs> yes. Yes, I, I think it is very special as well. And of course, for some people, it will be very important as a religious book. But in addition, as an historical item, I think it's just amazing because it speaks volumes about the history of this area and um, also the history of America and Europe as well. It dates back to 1536, a long time ago, especially, uh, you know, relatively here in the United States, you know, in 1536, it was a very, very different place than it was, for instance, in the 1700s or so. Would you like to know a bit of the history of this book? Yes, please. <laughs> okay, so it was printed in Switzerland, in Zurich, um, in 1536, by a Reformation printer. His name was uh, Christopher Froschauer, and he was um, a good friend of a religious reformer from Switzerland who was very important during the Reformation period, and his name was Zwingli. And he also had connections to Martin Luther uh, at the time. So he was uh, really known as the printer of the Reformation. And from what we understand, this is the first edition of a Bible that has all the books that we know uh, that appear in the modern Bible. It's also printed in a vernacular language, which it was one of the big issues with the Reformation. So before then, the services and all the books would be in Latin. So the common people did not speak Latin, so they didn't understand what was going on most times. It was just a ritual, but they didn't understand the words. And, and because they didn't understand it, they could not question the meaning. So by translating and making available this biblical content to, to the common people, then it brought a lot of problems for the Catholic Church because people started questioning some of the practices. And it kind of changed the power dynamic as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> so and, and uh, an interesting, well, there's many interesting aspects to this, and I could talk for hours. But uh, so it's the printing press had been invented not so long before this book was printed, and that was revolutionary. But also, this particular book has uh, illustrations by a very important uh, artist of that time in Europe. And his name was Hans Holbein the Younger. And he painted a lot of portraits in the court of Henry VIII that are very famous. But he was also known as a Bible illustrator for the Reformation period. Wow, that is, that, what a connection. Yes, yes. So, uh, but do, I, I wanted just to also give you a brief, a brief synopsis of the, the connection of the Bible here. So we managed to trace it to the, some of the original families that own it. And it seemed that it was brought over, uh, well, it was transferred through the generations through marriage sometimes. And it looks like in the same family, 
until it got to America in colonial times, in the first quarter of the, the 1700s, when it, it got here to, around that time when it got here to, to Page County with one of the first settlers. But these people have been persecuted in Switzerland. It was, there were religious wars all over Europe, but in particular that central European area and the Bible was owned by Anabaptists, which they didn't believe in child baptism. Um, and it was one of the big conflict points with the Catholic Church. But anyway, so they were persecuted in, in Switzerland, some were in prison, many were killed. We can, uh, we have some information that one of the owners was actually, he died in prison as an old man and all the um, land, everything that the family owned was seized by the state authorities and they had to flee to Germany. And for a couple of hundred years, uh, you can see a movement of these people between Germany and Switzerland and finally they are not treated well in either place and they fear for their lives. They don't have religious freedom. So they find a possibility of immigrating to America where they can practice their beliefs. And so they board the ship in Rotterdam and come to Pennsylvania in America and then move down here to the Shenandoah Valley where lands were cheaper. And they might not have known at the time, but because this was still a, a frontier and it was dangerous because of Indian attacks, they actually become like a buffer community here because they are they are German, not English. And so they are kind of used uh, in a way to be here on these dangerous borderlands. <laughs> But they develop a very unique culture and they develop, you know, these communities here in the Shenandoah Valley and, and early on in the Page Valley as well. So this Bible seems like it stayed in the same family for almost 500 years and until it was acquired to be uh, here in our museum. And the last place where it was used was actually our meeting house, which is on top of the hill. And it was also moved here to our site. It's amazing that you were able to find the history and track where this Bible came from, learning from the people all the way across different countries, across oceans. It's remarkable that you know the provenance of this item so in depth. Well, um, we we were lucky to meet some of the descendants and uh, done some research on this, and it's really amazing. But there's just so many incredible things about this this book, which was a center of communities. It was an, an you know, it has it was with these people when they crossed this huge ocean to be in a new place that was dangerous and unknown, start a new life. But there were also some interesting documents inside that Bible. Uh, you know, the families settle here, but then they keep on immigrating west. They go to Ohio. There were maps where they settled. There were recipes for dyes inside the Bible. And, and this is really very interesting to me. So the people that originally owned the Bible in Switzerland, some of the families were weavers. 
And inside the Bible, you, you see these recipes in old German for a, a blue dye. And also from the same family, we bought, and it's displayed at, 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 at the museum building, um, a very, very old pair of jeans, about 1800. And I believe that they were dyed with, with the recipe uh, that was inside that Bible. That's incredible. Yeah, I've, I don't know what is there in other museums in the country, but I believe that might be probably the oldest pair of jeans in the United States. <laughs> but that's uh... the dye recipe along with it. And one thing that I, I think might be underestimated about Bibles from older times, you could say, is that nowadays when you have a Bible, it's it's kind of just, you know, a, a mass printed regular Bible. But back then it was really, a, they, they it was a chronology of their lives. So they would have in the first few pages, I mean, this person begot this person, just like yeah. the first few chapters of the Bible. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, that and also it was it was central to a community of people you know they were more religious back then than than we are now in general and uh you know you have this precious book that had been with generations you know from birth to death from freedom to oppression of moving with with people thousands of miles to a new life comforting them through their trials giving them hope and 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 giving them also different principles that they and freedoms that they could not have back home religious freedom freedom of movement interest in education these are you know foundations of um, the new america that was being built at that time <laughs> It's really remarkable. It's a really amazing, amazing artifact that you guys have at the museum. Oh, thank you. We think so, too. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I am so amazed. I loved the book before, and now I love it even more. That's, a, that's just amazing, all the history that you guys have. Oh, well, it's just small pieces here and there, but um, when we think about them, that they have a lot of significance, um, I think, and, you know, we just talked about the iron, the Bible, but there's a, a lot more there as well, you know, we are also very interested in Native American history, which is, unfortunately, a lot of it has been forgotten or neglected, and also African American history, it's also important for us. And you can see that when you go to the museum, you can, you find some of that history. Yeah, <laughs> we have tried. <laughs> I think that you've done a good job with it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for meeting with me and sharing this with me. This has been wonderful. And, and please uh, come again. I mean, this is an evolving project. We keep on adding things and, you know, more objects. We are in the process of restoring another building. Uh, we're also very interested in in plants, flowers, the heirloom uh, flowers, and so on. So we have gardens as well. So it's <laughs> fantastic, and you really can plan a whole day when you go to Luray because you can visit 
everything. You even have a place to get some lunch. Yes, um, I mean, both here on our site, but also around in the community. And, you know, if people love history, nature, if they want to, to see um, a welcoming, beautiful place, then we, we have it here, you know, at Lurie Caverns, but also all around us. <laughs> That's very true. Thank you so much. All right. You have a good day. <laughs>